0: Welcome to Spirit of the Camino, a podcast about the unique and magical experience that is the Camino de Santiago. Join us on this adventure and discover the spirit of the Camino for yourself.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Spirit of the Camino podcast. I'm Nick and I'm here with Wendy. And as we continue with our first season talking about the Portuguese route of the Camino de Santiago, today we come to the Variante Espiritual, the spiritual variant, right towards the end of the Camino. And this was one of our favorite sections of the whole Camino.
0: Yeah, and I would possibly say even the very top you know, the our absolute favorite section.
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to disagree with that. We absolutely loved it and so we're going to tell you all about it today. So it's an official variant um, and it takes three, it takes two to three days depending on uh, a boat trip that you can take at the end and depending on the timing of the boat. And so the regular route from Pontevedra to Padron takes two days and in our case the variant took us three days and that's the usual but it does depend on the boat times. And You know, over the past couple of years, you know, I've been quite active on the Camino de Santiago forums and not actively researching this Camino, but just reading some threads here and there. And the two things that I really remember in terms of recommendations that people would make over and over again were firstly to stay at Casa da Fernanda, which is an amazing albergue between Barcelos and Ponto de Lima back uh, in Portugal, but um, north of Porto and in this stretch of the Camino Portuguese. And the second thing was to do this variante espiritual, and lots of people raved about it, and I didn't really know anything about it, except that people said it was great. And so I said, okay, well, let's try and do this. Um, But we almost didn't do it, as I think we mentioned in one of the earlier episodes.
0: Yeah, and that was because of lots of uncertainties, because of the situation, walking in 2020, you know, with lots of closures and um, far fewer pilgrims than normal, and this boat, it really all came down to the boat, and we didn't know if it was running or not, and if it wasn't running... Um, then, and we did decide to do the Variante Espiritual, and then it turned out that we weren't able to take the boat. That was going to mean doing a very long and brutal walk of about 36, 37 kilometers at the end, which I knew was going to kill me. And I really, really did not want to put my in, myself in a position where I had to do that. So um, yeah, we were tossing it up and, and trying to figure out if this boat was going to run or not. And in the end, it did, but we got kind of lucky, I think.
1: Yeah, I think normally at this time of year, and it would have been late September, I think it was actually the 1st of October when we took the boat. Normally, there'd be no problem reaching the minimum. But of course, in a pandemic here, everything's different. And it's interesting that you know when we had walked, started walking from Porto after we had arrived from Lisbon, and we started to meet some other pilgrims. And there were, I think, three in particular who we became friendly with, and none of them did it. They all just went the regular route mm-hmm. um, and so in the end we were lucky that we that there were some others who were doing it and they made up the minimum number
0: which was five they needed five pilgrims in order to run the boat and so obviously there were two of us and there ended up being three other people so we had the exact minimum of five people uh, for the boat to run now I suppose I mean, the only reason that the minimum is there is because it's not financially viable for them to do it for less than five people. So if you wanted to make up the difference, um, say if there were four people and you wanted to, among the four of you, split the cost of a fifth ticket, then I think they would allow for that. Um, So if you're you know willing to pay extra then you can just know that you can go ahead and do that and that can be an option normally it's 19 euros for is the price of a single ticket so if you were willing to you know pay for an extra ticket or two then uh, there's always a way to make the boat run I think in in that way
1: so we set off from Pontevedra we weren't exactly sure if we could get the boat but we were confident enough so we decided okay let's do it uh, at a certain point after pontevedra there's a sign taking you to the variante espiritual to the left um and on the normal camino to the right or straight ahead um and we were very very lucky on that first day especially that the weather was absolutely amazing there wasn't a cloud in the sky and in galicia that's rare
0: it is very rare, yes.
1: I mean, we've walked a couple of times in Galicia, and it had been in summer, and it had been just mostly raining. Mm-hmm. Um, and even on the days after this, once we got to Santiago de Compostela, it was very, I guess, typical weather for Galicia, but, but unusual for us, whereby there would be patches of very sunny periods, and then it would just cloud over completely and rain, mm-hmm. and then and then the sun would come out and it would just repeat this process over and over again all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this particular day, it was absolutely amazing and. You know it's something that it really does help your mood and your spirits and everything on Camino. you know it's, it would be nice if the weather wasn't so much of a factor but if you're gonna walk in rain it's not that pleasant but if you walk on, on an amazing day like that it just makes everything seem great
0: yeah and there was particularly beautiful scenery to enjoy along the way as well so yeah, all in all, it was, I think, objectively speaking, the most beautiful part of the Camino.
1: Right. So on that first day, you do see quite a lot of things. Um, towards the beginning, you come to a 17th century monastery at a place called Poyu. Um, and that was quite interesting. There's a cloister and a church, and we were you know, walking around and, and experiencing it. And then we got told by uh, the staff there that there was a second cloister. You had to go through this other special door. And what was amazing about this second cloister was that there's a mosaic that goes all along the wall on three sides. So it's this enormous mosaic, uh, and the mosaic is a representation of the Camino de Santiago.
0: Yeah, and I had no idea that it was there. Um, It's a little bit unusual because it's more specifically a representation of the Camino Frances. Um, and so there are images depicting various stops in cities and towns along the stages of the Camino Frances. Um, and obviously it's not on the Camino Frances, it's on the Portuguese. So I'm not sure exactly why that is.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I mean, it, it's interesting because it was made 30 years ago and the Variante Espiritual didn't even exist at that time. Mm. Um, and the, the Portuguese Camino probably wasn't nearly as popular as it is now. So I think it was just a, a matter of thinking that the Frances is the Camino, mm-hmm. and uh, so let's just do that. But yeah, you have all of these depictions of these, you know, famous milestone places along the way on the Frances. So you have the bridge at Puente de la Reina, you have the chickens at Santo Domingo de la Casada, and you know, the Templar castle at Pomferrada And so you walk, you know, alongside these walls, and then you can take this journey on the Frances all the way from San Jean-Pierre Port to Santiago de Compostela.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that was a real highlight. And as you said, we didn't know anything about it. Um, and so I always find it really nice when you see artwork that depicts the Camino itself. Mm hmm. Um, earlier in the Camino, we'd seen a mural, which was just painted uh, just last year, late last year. And it was on a stretch just after Quimbra. So it was in the Lisbon to Porto section, which is not really that popular. It doesn't have this kind of stuff usually. But there was this enormous mural, which was about 30 meters long, um, you know, entirely depicting scenes related to the Camino de Santiago. And so when you're a pilgrim, it's, just, it's really nice to see that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I remember that... A mural that you're talking about that was in during the stretch that we weren't enjoying all that much. So that was for sure the highlight of our day that day, walking um, through this otherwise pretty nondescript town, and then at the end of the town, seeing this enormous, enormous mural with um, yeah, all of these symbols of the Camino, like the the red Santiago cross and the shell and the pilgrim's gourd and just all kinds of things. Um, yeah that was really cool and this mosaic was really cool as well and it uh, obviously took a tremendous amount of time and effort to create because it was absolutely enormous yeah it um, took
1: three years to create and it was designed by a Czech artist and unfortunately he died before it was finished so he never got to see the completed version because it took so long um, but it's 80 meters long uh, going around as I said these three wa- uh, three sides of the wall and there are 1 million. Uh, tessere, the little mosaic tiles that, that make it up, so it's a really an incredible piece of art, but it seems to be very unknown. Um, after we saw it, I was actually quite inspired by it, so I went to the Comuna de Santiago forums to see if there was a, a thread talking about it and there wasn't, so I created one and put some photos up and, and lots of people enjoyed it and, and other people you know, didn't, hadn't heard about it either. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a kind of hidden gem on the Comuna.
0: Yeah, and definitely one that's worth seeking out.
1: So from there we continued and we came to this uh, town, which is quite a well-known town, it's called Combarro, and it's on the sea. And this is actually the first time we had been to the seaside in Galicia.
0: Yeah, so if you are walking the central route of the Portuguese Camino, then this is a good opportunity to get a little taste of the coast without doing the entire coastal route.
1: Yeah, and it's famous not just for being on the sea and being this kind of seaside town, but it's famous for its oreos, which are these uh, granaries that we've talked about before. And these are well known and famous throughout Galicia. The interesting thing is that usually, because it's so associated with agriculture, you see them, uh, you know, when you're on these rural paths, you see them next to farmhouses and things like that. But in this town of Combaro, they're right on the sea. They're Mm -hmm. right on top of the seawall, literally, you know, meters from the ocean.
0: Yeah, and I believe they were used to store the grain uh, that was going to be shipped or that had just come off of a ship. So it was kind of an intermediary place uh, next to the sea because they used sea transport a lot as well in Galicia. So it does make sense, but yeah, at first when you see it, it seems really odd that you would have these oreos, these typical... Rural um, type of architecture that you would have it at this kind of seaside resort. Because it's kind of a touristy town. Uh, I mean, not a total like beach resort with umbrellas at the beach and everything. But um, it does have a bit of a touristy feel. There were a few tourists around even in uh, during the pandemic. And um, it seemed a bit out of place, but also very picturesque, really beautiful. Definitely.
1: And i I mean, we were there, I guess, at low tide because we could walk along the sand just uh, next to the seawall and just see these oreos these granaries just right above us. Um, but at certain times of day, I, I assume that the water comes right up to it and it's, it's very, very close to the water. And we really liked that town. We walked around it and we had a picnic lunch there um, and people were very friendly to us as we were eating in the main square. Um, people, Several people wished us buen porrecho, um which was very nice. And um, we almost didn't want to leave, but we had to, you know, strap on our bags again and keep walking. Mm-hmm. And so we continued. We went through up uh, a climb up to in a eucalyptus forest up to a a lookout point. Uh, It was there that we met uh, this group of Portuguese uh, pilgrims. There were a group of eight of them, and they were they were a lot of fun. We saw them, you know, over the next few days, and we talked with them in Portuguese, and you know, they had interesting insights. And they were, I think, some of them were even from Lisbon, but they were amazed that we had begun in Lisbon because they had just uh, begun in Porto, even north of Porto, I think. Um, uh, But it was really, you know, it was nice to. To get their uh, input or, or to see their perspective, as well as Portuguese people, you know, walking this route, you know, within north of Portugal and in Galicia as well, and as we've talked about, the similarities that there are between those cultures
0: Mm hmm And I was also relieved to meet them because they said that they were also going to be taking the boat. So I thought, okay, great. We've definitely got the numbers and the boat is definitely going to run. As it turned out, they had hired some private boat just for their group of eight people. And so they were not on our boat. And, um, you know, it was just by luck that there were three other people that we could share our actual boat with. But I'm kind of glad that I didn't know that at the time, because I would have just been stressing out for two days about, oh, is this boat going to run?
1: Yeah, it always comes back to the boat in the end. <laughs> um, so the end of the, the first day, at the end of the first stage of the Variante Espiritual is Armentaida. And there's another beautiful monastery there um, with a 12th century church. It's a kind of Romanesque and Gothic mixture. And there's a beautiful rose window on the facade. And there's a cloister, which dates from later, that you can walk around as well. So we did that. Um, What we perhaps should have done was to stay the night there. Yes. In the end, we stayed in the albergue. And we were actually the only people staying in the albergue because this group of the eight Portuguese and two Italians who we later met who were on our boat uh, stayed in the monastery. And it was just one of those things where we'd looked at it, and we knew that they, I think they used to take pilgrims more in an albergue style, and then maybe they kind of spruced it up a little bit or made it more like a, a, an upper market kind of place. Um, and so I just read some things about somebody who waited there and got kind of turned away because they weren't taking pilgrims. And then I looked at their website, and their prices were kind of higher than what we usually pay it, but it included half board. I think it was 75 euros for, for two with, with dinner, we thought oh, that's a little bit you know steep um, and so we just stayed in the albergue, but it turned out because of the pandemic they're not doing the dinners and so then they just charge you 45 for the room. And we paid more than that a couple other times uh, previously on this Camino. So we definitely would have done it because we talked with the Portuguese later and they loved it.
0: Yes. And uh, the, the Italian couple loved it as well. Uh, apparently there was a special kind of pilgrim mass for them in the evening where the nuns sang and it was really beautiful. And then the nuns also gave them a pilgrim blessing uh, in their own languages. So they did it both in Portuguese for the Portuguese group and they did it in italian for the italian group they must have had this blessing written out in many different languages and so yeah it sounded like it was a really special experience and i do regret not being able to experience that that's probably the one thing that i would do differently about this camino given the chance to go back in time um so yeah it is a a little bit more expensive i mean the albergue was cheap we only paid eight euros per person uh, for the bed and we had the whole place to ourselves so that was nice um, but yeah for a bit more I guess it would have been 22 50 per person uh, we could have stayed in this monastery which I think would have been a much more enjoyable experience.
1: The second day was also amazing um, and the highlight of it is this very first part when you're leaving Amenteta and you walk along this river and you're in a forest, and there are all of these ruins of these water mills alongside the the river. And it's really uh, almost a stream. It's quite it's quite a, a small river, quite a narrow river, and th- there are all these little waterfalls that go down, and it's just incredibly picturesque. Um, so it's called the Stone and Water Route. Uh, would you like to say it in Galego?
0: Yes, in Galego it is the Ruta da Pedra e da Alga.
1: All right, that's a little bit of a teaser for our next episode. <laughs> um, and it's interesting that something that I read and I was lucky that I did read it was a tip from somebody who had said that if you have time the day before and you like photography, which I do, and if it's a nice day, it's really worth going into this this forest the, d- the day before, even though you're gonna walk it again the next morning and just walk down a little bit and then walk back up. And it really begins right at the albergue. It's less than five minutes walk from the albergue. And we had some time in it when, as I mentioned, it was a beautiful day. And so I went down and took some photos and I was really glad that I did that, because the next morning we started out um, you know, early as usual, but as we've mentioned before, by this time sunrise in Spain was at 8.30, so we were kind of awake at 6-something um, and kind of twiddling our thumbs waiting until it was light enough that we could walk. So we were just kind of looking out the window, and at a certain point it seemed light enough to walk, and so we started walking, and it was. But when you descend down into this uh, into this kind of valley where the stream is, the tree cover from the forest is, is quite thick and it's much darker there than it is out you know in the open skies uh, you know just a couple of minutes earlier and so it was really quite dark and I just for comparison's sake I took a picture I took the same picture that I'd taken the day before and there's quite a huge difference in it um, and so I was really glad that, that I did walk just for a little bit just for about 20 minutes down and 20 minutes back the day before just to just to get a different um, perspective, different light—it uh, sort of changed it, and made it feel a little bit more magical. Uh, also,
0: something to keep in mind for safety's sake—you know, even if you're not interested in the photography aspect, it's—it's uh, it's quite a precarious path at some point Um, you know you're scrambling over rocks and things and so you don't want to be doing that in pitch black darkness Mm. so uh, get a little bit of a late start even though it is a pretty long day so you might want you might be tempted to start early but it's not really a good idea on this particular day
1: no um and but it was interesting, though, because, as we've mentioned, it was quite dark at the beginning, but then, you know, as you walk through it, the light comes and comes. And, I mean, it's just the 8.30 sunrise just really, really got to me at these parts of Spain, finally, because it's, it's, you know, in this forest and the sun doesn't really you know hit the valley floor or hit the stream because of the the foliage um and you know there are some hills around and whatnot and it was 10 o'clock by the time we finally got some sunlight coming in like at least a little bit coming in uh, and so that was kind of you know my dawn photo at 10 o'clock um you know inside this inside this forest um but then we got we got some light and we got some light on uh, some of the old ruins of the old mills um and so you know in the end um, we were able to get some really nice light on both of those days. But it was just an absolutely beautiful route. Um, it's seven kilometers long. And it took us three hours to walk it.
0: Yeah, that's because you took lots and lots of
1: photos. <laughs> but there are also information boards and you read everything on the information boards. Also true. And read in multiple languages if they have it. Um, <laughs> and also because we were checking out the mills and we were kind of walking around and and we just didn't really want it to end. Mm. And as we mentioned, there were hardly any pilgrims doing this route at all. And I think because the ones who were staying in the monastery maybe got breakfast and maybe they started they started later than us, definitely, because mm-hmm. we, we talked about it with them later. Uh, and we didn't see any other pilgrims at all uh, mm-hmm. for this three hours. And so that's something that we mentioned before about the impact of the pandemic is that, you know, you, it's great to have... The atmosphere of having lots of pilgrims and whatnot when you're in albergues, but sometimes when you're on a path like this um, it's great when you just have it more or less to yourself. There were some local people uh, who we saw walking their dog, or we might have even seen somebody running the route as well, um, but there were a couple of local people enjoying the area and that's brilliant as well because it really is it really is something incredibly beautiful and we were talking about it at the time that if you look at most stages that you walk on most Caminos, You wouldn't necessarily suggest that as a day hike to a person for the natural beauty and whatnot. It's more just that it's a part of the whole Camino experience. And you can have a wonderful Camino day, but that doesn't mean that it stands alone off Camino as this amazing day hike. And, you know, there are differences on the Primitivo or on the Salvador or something like this, the really beautiful Caminos, maybe there are some like that. But this day, for sure... Um, was like that and, and I think some local people or some people from maybe around the area go there regularly because it's just so beautiful.
0: Yeah and it's promoted as a day hike. I mean the fact that it has a name you know the route of stone and water indicates that it's it's made to be a route that people walk uh, you know, by itself, just walking those seven kilometers.
1: And I was just checking out a blog today, just in preparation for this episode, and I found uh, this blog called uh, "Mas Rutas y Menos Rutinas," which I liked. So it's more routes and less routine, or fewer routines. Uh, and so it's a, a, basically an adventure hiking type blog in Spanish. And they have a, an entry for this route and recommending it as this great route to walk. And they don't mention the Comuna de Santiago at all. Mm-hmm. It's not; they're not saying oh, hey, you can walk one day on the Camino and, you know, pretend you're a pilgrim for a day. It's, no, just go and walk this thing because it's beautiful. And I think even the signage, you know, they have their own signage there and we didn't really see Camino shells or arrows or things like that while no. we were in the, in the forest.
0: No, we didn't.
1: But it's definitely, I mean, I thought it was easily the most beautiful stretch of the entire Portuguese Camino and one of the really great highlights of, of any of the Caminos that we've walked.
0: Yeah, for sure. And speaking of signage, the variante espiritual does have its own signage as well, um, which we thought looked pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's a shell with the Santiago cross, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of often on these wooden uh, signposts, so it's just got a bit more of a rustic feel to it than the, I don't know, almost uh, industrially produced blue and yellow uh, shells and arrows that you see throughout the rest of the Camino. So we were, we, you know, because we started so late, because of the late sunrise, and because we made such slow progress, it was, you know, 11 o'clock by the time we were out of this thing and we'd gone almost nowhere.
0: Yeah, which wasn't ideal. I mean, I do like to, you know, get a, a good, strong start at the beginning of the day. We tend to not eat breakfast before we leave. We just bring some um, biscuits, cookies to, to snack on a bit later, but we like to, you know, get, up early and out the door and get some good mileage behind us before we have our first stop. So it did feel a bit different and a bit jarring, you know, to know that it was so late and we still had so much more uh, trail left to go. But I I knew that it was going to be like that. And I just allowed myself to take time and enjoy it and take it slowly that morning.
1: Yeah. And the rest of the trail that day was actually really nice as well. It's sort of in a way it paled in comparison to this uh, water and stone route but it, it, you know if we hadn't have done that uh, i think we would have thought it was a really nice day on camino as well because you're walking along another river a different kind of river um later or through the middle part of the day and then later you make your way back towards the coast again and you actually walk basically on the beach for the last uh, two or three kilometers uh, into villanova de arosa which is the the end of stage town
0: Mm -hmm. and we passed some vineyards along the way we had that river on one side and the vineyards on the other side Um, there was some good bird watching as well we saw cormorants and other types of birds in that river so yeah it was a really definitely a really pleasant walk and it was also uh, a separate hiking route there was signage for that as well I don't remember what the name was but they did give that part a name as well that walk along that river
1: Right. And so that was the end of the second day. And that's basically most of the walking of the Variante Espiritual. because then after that, it's all about this boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems funny because, you know, we are the type of pilgrims who don't take transport. And if other people want to take transport, that's all fine. Uh, everybody's Camino is their own Camino. But for us, we've just always felt that it, it just doesn't really fit in with, with the experience that, that we're having or that we want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've never really needed to. But the boat is just something different and everybody raves about the boat as well. And, it, you know, after by that point, 30, 31 days on Camino, it was a really uh, nice, you know, pleasure to be able to put our feet up and, uh, (laughs) you know, not have to walk 28 kilometers, take the boat instead.
0: Yeah, it was a really nice boat ride. I was a little bit hesitant about taking a boat or taking any form of transport, because it did feel a bit like cheating to me, or it's just, you know, it's my own personal rule that when I'm on Camino, I won't get into a taxi or a bus or or any other form of transport.
1: But the thing about the boat is it's sort of recognized as a different form of transport. So, for example, it doesn't affect your ability to get a Compostela at the end if you take the boat. Right. And on other routes, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to walk the last mm. 100 kilometers, and this is within the last 100 kilometers um, mm. of this route. And so, but it, it's, it's completely okay to take the boat because of the history surrounding the... Uh, the, the, the boat itself, uh, which we're going to talk about in a little while, and it's tied in with Santiago himself, and mm-hmm. so it, it kind of forms this natural part of Camino.
0: Yes. And it is specifically for pilgrims as well. They call it La Barca de Peregrino Mm. or something to that effect. And the boatman will stamp your credencial. And so um, it's definitely an official, you know, part of the Camino.
1: Right. And I think if you look at medieval pilgrims who didn't have the opportunity to take taxis or trains or buses or whatever, but if they had a boat that would help them along the way, I'm sure they would have taken that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably.
1: And so as we mentioned earlier, the the boat leaves at different times, depending on the tide. And so I've seen some people say that their boat left at 7.30 in the morning, and then they were able to then get off the boat and walk all the way to Santiago on the same day. And so if that happens, you actually don't lose any days compared with the regular route. Um, our boat left at 12.30, and that was a little bit unusual because we woke up and you know had nowhere to go or nothing to do. <laughs> we had to wait till 12.30. Um, and that was, I think you mentioned a couple of episodes ago that when we were staying at the albergue in the old mill, the albergue um, Muinio Garcia, that that was a vacation from our Camino. And then this was the second vacation from our Camino because we just woke up and then we could just sort of sleep in a little bit and just kind of lay in bed and not have to get up and walk.
0: Yeah. And at one point we thought, wow, we're going to have to ask the owner of this albergue what time checkout is, which of course is never normally an issue. But um, yeah, we were there until close to noon. Um, We did walk around the town a little bit but there wasn't that much to see in the town so yeah we basically just had a morning off and um, took it easy
1: the boat I mean it's not just a, a, a transport ride it's also a, a virtual tour you know the boatman tells you all the stuff as you're going along uh, you know immediately after you're leaving the the harbor from Villanova de Arosa uh, you see all these um, well you can describe it better than me I think
0: Oh, um, yeah, so there are these platforms that are out in the water. In The body of water is called the ria arosa. So this is not a rio, which would be a river. It's a ria with an A, R-I-A, uh, which is, I guess, an inlet. So something larger than a river, but it's where the water just starts to kind of edge its way into the land. Maybe something like a fjord in Norway. So anyway, in this body of water, you have uh, these platforms where they cultivate mussels and oysters and perhaps some other shellfish as well. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but it's quite a large um, industry, but still mostly a family-run industry. Uh, So our boatman said there were about 20,000 families that live off of the cultivation of these mussels and oysters and so we did see uh, a few people who were out working on their platform basically they have ropes that are attached to the platform and then hang down into the water and then the mussels and the oysters they are attached to those ropes and so that's um that's how it works so we stayed there for a little while and he explained that whole process which was something i'd never seen before
1: and then the, after that you sort of go out more into the open water and that's kind of the main part of the trip is that you go past these uh, crosses which are on the on islands in this body of water or just on the banks on either side and it's part of what's called the Via Crucis, uh, and that's also something that you're very interested in.
0: So, Because,
1: for example, the third of these set of crosses or the third cross is is supposed to specifically represent Santiago and his two kind of uh, disciples, if mm -hmm. you like, because there are three crosses on that part. And so it was pointed out to us that that was the most important of the, I think, 12 crosses that are uh, that form this Via Crucis.
0: I think there might be 14 in total. 12 or 14, something like that. Because um, initially we thought that it would be like uh, the stations of the cross, but it's not really that, because usually when you see stations of the cross, you know, each station represents a different event that that took place, you know, on the day of the crucifixion as Jesus was carrying his cross. Um, but... You don't see that. You, they're just all crosses, um, which are very common in Galicia, uh, often at a um, crossroads. When you have two roads that meet, you'll often see a stone cross there, um, often with a representation of the crucifixion on it. So anyway, yeah, the the one that has the three crosses that represents... Um, Santiago in the middle, and his two disciples, who are Theodore and Athanasius. And they, according to the story, the tradition, the legend, um, they are the ones who brought his body back to Galicia. So he had been uh, preaching and spreading the gospel in Galicia um, along with them. Theodore and Athanasius were also there uh, with Santiago, preaching in Galicia. And then he went back to... Jerusalem, and there he was beheaded by the Roman soldiers for, well, for spreading this religion that was not the official religion of Rome at the time. And so then there were all kinds of strange series of events, um, and Theodore and Athanasius went through all of these trials and tribulations to bring the body back. At one point, the body turned into stone. Um, and people have said that there were actually lots of boats that would have been carrying stone, like for construction purposes up and down this inlet and then the Rio Uya that goes inland further. So perhaps that was a, you know, a mistranslation or a misunderstanding over time that uh, there were boats carrying stones and then This legend grew up about the body that was that had turned into stone, and then it was also carried by a boat of stone. And uh, so, anyway, Theodore and Athanasius kept following this light that was guiding them. um, And eventually, it led them down the the Ria Arosa and then into the Rio Uya, which is when it becomes you know a smaller river. Um, and then all the way up to the point which is now known as Pedron. Um, There's also a town near there that you walk through that's called Ida Flavia, which is the the ancient Roman Latin name of that area when this all would have occurred in 44 AD. Pedron, the reason it got its name, is from a, a large stone which would have been a Pedron, uh, there was a large stone there that Theodore and Athanasius attached the boat to when they when they landed, and that stone is the big stone, and so that's now kept in the Church of Santiago in the town of Padron, um, as you know, kind of a relic and. Um, remembrance of this miraculous event. So we are actually following, I can't say in the footsteps, because Santiago wasn't walking, because unfortunately he was dead at the time. But we are following the the same tracks uh, that his remains took when they were brought back to Galicia and ended up eventually in, um, well, what we know today as Santiago de Compostela.
1: Right. So in the end, I think that any... um... Doubt that you might have had about taking the, the boat has uh, put to rest <laughs> because, um, you know, you can kind of see how it really does form part of the, the legend and the story of the Camino de Santiago. Yeah, definitely. And so then when we got off the boat, we had to walk just a couple of kilometers to get to Padrón, this town that you mentioned earlier. And unfortunately, that was the end of the Variante Espiritual. Um, but we absolutely loved it. Um, all three days offered something interesting, something different. And, uh, you know, it was really great to have that, to look forward to, and to have that right at the very end of the Camino, because it's only one more day from Padrón. You can walk to Santiago in one day. And, you know, sometimes at the end of a Camino, you have these kind of mixed feelings because you're excited that you're about to arrive, but you're sad that you're going to stop walking. If you're walking the Frances, you know, those last four days from Saria can be a little bit challenging because suddenly there are so many more people who join it and perhaps you don't enjoy it as much as you enjoyed the previous days but to have this right at the end you know if we were starting to flag a little bit or starting to you know get a bit tired then this really you know lifted our our spirits again and um i highly recommend it to anybody who does this route
0: yes that would be one of my top recommendations for anyone thinking about doing the portuguese camino is if you do it be sure to do the variante espiritual
1: All right, we will see you in the next episode. Until then, Bon Camino.
0: And Buen Camino. Thanks for listening. For more great content about the Camino de Santiago, visit our website at spiritofthecamino.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Spirit of the Camino. Buen Camino.